First on film and entertainment, and there is a really important movie that was released a couple of days ago, and I'd like to start there. Uh, there's been a lot of Holocaust movies released over decades, and the standard is usually the highest of the high. I don't think there's any genre that is more significant than Holocaust movies in terms of the quality of productions. The zone of interest enters that sphere. Now, it's M-rated, it's 105 minutes, really distressing. It's, well, the root of it all is pure evil and, and denial. And it focuses on the commandant of Auschwitz and his family living in the lap of luxury while victims in the concentration camp next door are ruthlessly murdered en masse. So you've got Rudolf Hoss, played by Christian Friedel, applauded for the role he's played at Auschwitz, which is in Poland, for four years. Right, He's played a role in that horrible environment. He and his wife Hedwig, played by Sandra Buller, and their five children, including a baby, have everything they could possibly wish for. They've got this large home, sprawling garden, including a greenhouse and a gazebo, and they have servants aplenty. And as Jews are gassed to death, they have access to all the clothing and valuables they could want. As if without a care in the world, they swim in the river. They enjoy the convivial country life. Hoss is a keen sportsman, a horseman, in fact. He loves his steed deeply. He takes every opportunity to ride. Meanwhile, plumes of dark smoke are continually seen rising into the sky from the chimneys at Auschwitz. The top brass sees a bright future for the ruthless and practical Hoss. Against his wishes, he's transferred and elevated to deputy inspector, while his wife and children stay behind. And in so doing, Hoss will oversee other concentration camps to obtain greater efficiencies. He'll need to bring the, the latter to the fore because Hitler has just agreed to deport 700,000 Jews from Hungary. And of course, he's up for the challenge. It's been written and masterfully directed by Jonathan Glazer, the Zone of Interest is based on a novel by Martin Amos, and the film starts and ends in darkness against a troubling music bed which serves to illuminate the horrors. Throughout this movie, we hear barbaric sounds emanating from Auschwitz, which is but a few hundred metres from the Hoss residence. Hoss is an unbending authoritarian, while his wife treats the help with indifference at best. She recognises what a perfect life she has, and all she's concerned about is when her husband will find the time to take her on another spa holiday to Italy, and she even lets out girlish giggles. The performances of Christian Friedland and Sandra Huller are chilling, right? I mean, that's what they were asked to do, and that's what the role dictates, but they are chilling. The children appear to buy into the idyllic picture, ignoring as far as possible the dastardly deeds being perpetrated within metres of their home. It's impossible to see past the atrocities depicted in the zone of interest, but these are handled in a way I hadn't seen before. Much of the film unfolds through the power of suggestion, and the brutality is depicted through the carefree life of Hedwig and the children, in contrast to the insidious nature of the Nazi war machine. The, the latter only needs to be shown in a handful of scenes to become entrenched in one's psyche, and the final scenes go some way to highlighting the magnitude of what went down at Auschwitz and at other concentration camps during the Second World War. Let us never forget that six million Jewish lives were lost 
and countless gypsies and others. So this is traumatising, but it needs to be seen. Incidentally, the title as out of interest was drawn from the term used by the Nazis to describe the 40 square kilometre area surrounding Auschwitz. And it speaks to the determined, the disquieting sense of obfuscation that permeates this movie. I thought it was an extraordinary production. I really did. With me, we have Jackie Hamilton, Peter Krauss and Greg King, all of whom have seen this movie. No, Peter. I haven't. Oh, you haven't. I'm sorry. I didn't realise. Um, what about you, Peter? What, what did you think of the zone of interest? Peter? He's dropped out. Oh, no. He has dropped out. Well, um, I'm afraid then we're going to have to just do it with Jackie. Jackie, you're, you're perfectly fine to do. Your, what's your view of, your, of the zone of interest? Um, it's a masterful film. Um, and what struck me, like endless things strike you that about this film, but mostly it's a new take, an original new take on a subject that's been um, discussed and talked about and filmed about for decades in, you would think, almost every way that's possible. This is a whole new way of looking at it by uh, the most important things about it is what you don't see. Um, you hear it, you smell it, um, but you actually don't see what's beyond, what's on the other side of the wall. And in fact, um, the Hoss family don't see it either. They live their lives ignoring what's going on. But they, um, see, they do see the smoke, of course, from the chimneys. Well, let's say they see it, they don't look at it. They yep. don't notice it. It's not a part of their life. They they take in, and and the, this undercurrent of horror that's not actually um, spoken about is under everything they do and say. The air they breathe, the 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 river they swim in, the clothes they try on. Um, it, it, we only just start realizing wh what is the undercurrent that's going on during this film, where the clothes are from, what is that in the river. Um, so, you know, it's just this sort of heavy, endless horror that's behind the whole story. And, um, you know, as they say, you, um, you know, this evil and they're living this banal life. Yes. Happy life, family life. Um, and you can't ignore it by growing greenery over the wall because beyond the wall, we're not thinking about what's beyond there. The juxtaposition of the two is just horrific. And that's exactly the reason they obviously approached it the way they did. And I just, I'm extraordinarily amazed at the diversity of films surrounding the Holocaust, but how excellent many of these films are, Jackie. You've seen a lot of them too. So would you agree with my characterization that as a genre, the expectation is higher than for virtually any other genre? Um. Well, higher than any other, possibly, because it's so um, intense, so personal, so um, horrific, um, and there's still so much to say about it. Yes. But you don't realise that until someone comes up with a different way of saying it all. And this, in fact, is almost a very clinical, it's almost a clinical fly-on-the-wool documentary in a way, um, because what we're looking at is the life of the family um, that's um, 
so so deeply connected with what's going on in Auschwitz. Very much so. Um, very much so. And, and I, I vividly remember the film that opened the, I think it was the Jewish International Film Festival, it was, a, a number of years ago, where the concentration was on the back of the heads of, of um, the soul. Oh, yes. That, that, that again, uh, and it Is was... That, uh, Saul, sorry, Saul. Um, what was it? Oh, isn't that terrible? I've just gone blank on... It, it was about... What was it, Greg? Yeah. Son of Saul. Son of Saul. Yeah. Yes. Son of Saul. And the boy in the striped pyjamas has that oh. similar feeling to it. But, of course, that uh, similar intensity, shall we say. But there's also the pianist. There, there was... Yes. Uh, there, there are so many in, incredible films about the Holocaust, and this is one of them. So, Greg, no doubt you'll go and see this one, and uh, it just it's an extraordinary film. It's, I, I just reiterate that it's going to be too much for some people. It's deeply, deeply distressing. So it's called The Zone of Interest. It's rated M, runs for 105 minutes. Jackie, what would you give it out of 10? Eight out of 10. I'd give it a nine out of 10. I mean, it really is very, very special. Let's move to a film which is incredibly polarizing. And I've spoken to a couple of people, you being one of them, Jackie, that didn't have the same feelings as me and some found it hard. I spoke to somebody only in the last few hours who walked out on it and that wasn't you. And it's called The Rooster. Now, it's MA rated. It's 101 minutes and it's set in a small town in rural Victoria. And it marks a highly imaginative and impactful feature film debut for a writer and director called Mark Leonard Winter. And he's a double helping award-winning actor. He featured, by the way, in Elvis, in Balibo, The Dressmaker, just to name a few. Now, he's drawn on personal experience to create something I consider to be mighty special. And it deals with masculinity, isolation and crisis. And it concerns an introverted policeman and a hermit. And... You've got Dan, who's a cop like his father was before him, played by Phoenix Ray. He lives alone with his chickens and a beloved rooster patrolling this one-man satellite police station. And he's haunted by his past. And when the body of his childhood friend Steve, played by Reese Mitchell, is found buried in a shallow grave, Dan goes bush. He turns to booze to try to satiate the guilt and heartache that he feels. He chances upon a volatile hermit, played by Hugo, Hugo Weaving, who lives off the grid, close to where his mate died. Upon discovering that this recluse, who's named Mitt, was the last man to see Steve alive, Dan seeks answers, as you'd expect him to. An unlikely bond develops between the pair. It's only when Dan, whose passion is literature and poetry, lets down his guard that progress is made. It's only then that Dan can finally see a way forward, a way through the dark cloud that hangs over his life. I found it quite an extraordinary film, a substantive quality piece of work in which, with a great deal of care and attention to detail, all the pieces fit together. It tackles mental health from the inside out. What I mean by that is, what is it like to be inside the mindset of the policeman and the hermit? How does one simply cope and get through each day? There are many scenes in what is a beautifully shot and realised film, the cinematography by Craig Barden, when words are all but superfluous. And principal photography took place in the Hepburn Shire where Mark Winter and his wife, who's one of the film's producers, Geraldine 
Ackiwell live? I reckon Winters, in fact, the master of the unspoken, he ensures that sounds and silences speak volumes. So the rooster's given time to breathe. The natural bird noises found in the country, in the forest, are intermingled with classical jazz and religious music. The composer is Stephen Gregory, and he's played into Winter's vision magnificently. And then there are the superb performances of Ray and Weaving, who fully realise the depths of the anguish of the two central characters. Both are withdrawn in their own way. There's regret, there's failure, there's shame. Ray's portrayal of Dan is sensitive and caring, while as Mitt, Weaving is often demonstrative and threatening. But these seemingly polar polar opposite characterizations can't hide their respective characters' pain, and it's the juxtaposition that helps make this picture as strong as it is. So Winter et al. are to be commended for their fortitude in crafting a left-of-centre production that is undeniably triumphant. What about you, Jackie? I, I know you struggled with this one. I didn't get this film, The Rooster. It just didn't work for me. The characters, uh, look, I didn't really understand it, Alex, when I started to watch it and it didn't rope me in. Um, I probably should have um, gone away, read about it, grasped what it was um, trying to put across and then start all over again. But, you know, do you have to do that with a film to appreciate it? I guess when it's worth it, it's, it's a good thing. But in my case, um, I didn't take that extra effort with the rooster and it really did nothing for me. Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. I didn't know what it was about, Alex. You know, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was arty. It was, a, it was all over the shop. The music was irritating. The, I didn't believe the characters, um, you know, dream sequences and weirdness. And I, it was weird. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't, I didn't see any of that. Um, and I, I, I hadn't. I had no knowledge of the film before I went in, none. So, again, different people will interpret a film in a different way and it'll speak to some and, and won't speak to others. Uh, did you did you accept that both of the central players had mental health issues? Did you sort of get that early on or did, you didn't get that early well, on? Well, uh, no, I, no, I didn't. I, okay. I want to say that maybe the director did, but um, that, was a, that was only my a, a flippant comment in, with regards to the way the film presented itself to me so you know maybe that should have if that had been clearer you see i didn't read even a a um a, a synopsis before no, i no no no, watching her. no no but what i'm saying is neither did i right I, no I, but i mean things like dream sequences you know can't you swirly too bad so it's suddenly suddenly the line's gone really bad you hear me jackie um, barely. I think barely, I'm not Peter sure. might have joined the Peter might have joined the group, and um, there might be some issues there. But anyway, no. So um, I did find um, I, in this. I mean, what was a dream sequence? What was a nightmare? What was a mental health issue? Uh, it, it all becomes uh, you know sort of all intertwined into a difficult, difficult thing for an audience to watch. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that you say that because I, I mean, again reading a little bit about it now uh, in terms of motivation and, and so on. Um, it, it, it's interesting in terms of what what pro provoked, if you like, Winter to making this movie and his, his wife to get involved as a producer. And uh, just to give you a bit of context, in, it was winter in 2019 and he was dealing with 
the fallout of some rather devastating personal events. And he found himself isolated at his house in the country and suddenly he couldn't see a place for himself in the world. He'd lost hope. And he was, he was struck that in this time of crisis, when he was most in need of help, he, he sort of felt unworthy of it. And talking to somebody about his problems felt impossible and he felt completely alone. And he then juxtaposed that into saying so many people feel similarly. And that's where I suppose this movie came from. Peter, Peter Krause, are you with us? Yes, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, but your line is appalling and it's actually affecting the whole thing. So again, I've got no idea what's going on here, but it was fine beforehand and now again it's fine. So if I ask you to drop out, it's only because I, I love you dearly, but I don't want that to affect the production so that everybody can hear it. But now, now you're back again. You, we've just had a, a, I'm not sure how much of it you heard, but we've had quite a discussion with Jackie about the rooster and yep. i mean i really admire the fact i'm i i and I put this very much in, in the forefront that jackie's been honest in terms of her assessment as she always is that she went along to this film and didn't get it and that's fine i mean there are movies like that and i, I also spoke to somebody else literally in the last few hours who said exactly the same thing and they walked out on the movie so this is a polarizing film you've you've said you've hosted questions and answers about this movie i thought it was a, a work of genius i thought it was fabulous um did you know much about it when you went and saw it or not no i didn't but um did you know uh, when about it did you read about it beforehand or not no no i i prefer not to know too much about a film before i see yeah, it likewise okay so you went in you've you've obviously subsequently found out a lot more about it what did yes. you think what did you think of the rooster I, I think I really uh, liked the film because it, it did explore uh, male issues in terms of psychological dilemmas and problems that uh, that men face, um, which are not necessarily well expressed uh, in terms of cinema. And, and I think Mark Bennett Winter, as you've already uh, described, has explained uh, some of that through his screenplay uh, in uh, in the, the Rooster and and to have a, a character like Phoenix Ray as a police officer who is uh, who is quite disturbed, uh, has some personal issues that he's dealing with, and to have um, Hugo Weaving as the hermit who uh, in himself has um, a raft of personal issues that he has uh, because he's sort of uh, sequestered his way uh, from uh, uh, human civilization, that sort of thing. Uh, it, it's that sort of exploration of uh, of psychological damage that uh, has happened to men, which I suppose also, uh, in speaking to Mark, relates also to COVID and the way that isolated so many people, that that was the inspiration behind him writing this film, uh, Mark David Winter, writing this film and trying to grapple with those feelings that he had and to show on screen um, a story that uh, addressed some of that uh, difficulty um, that in particular men deal with, with uh, psychological and suicidal uh, issues. So, look, I think he did it really well. It's, it's an atmospheric film. It's yes. not an easy film uh, to watch. And he has also a nice cast. It was shot all around his homestead in, uh, in Dalesford. And uh, it, it just had that feel to it especially the way it was shot and the music and the widescreen, a feel to it that 
was either immersive for people who can uh, understand where he's coming from or not, uh, if you're not quite attuned to what he's saying. I just thought it it really, it spoke, I suppose, volumes in not speaking. The lack of language was part of the challenge in this movie that I yep. absolutely grasped straight away and felt moved by and... I thought that the that I thought that the combination the the musical the diversity in music was just amazing but it worked for me very strongly and also the, the use of silence as I mentioned it, it it just it was haunting wasn't it Peter Yes absolutely he he he's really paced the film well and he's used sound design and music he's I mean this is his debut feature film as yeah. a director he's... and that's what that's why I'm so amazed that yep. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do next because yes. he's got a very, I mean, you know, he and his wife are very gifted people who, if you like, have done different things and all of a sudden he's moved into this space and his wife has moved into the production space and they've created this extraordinary piece first up. So, you know, and they're only young people. So let's see where they go to from here. But Jackie, you know, again, credit to you, I can also see that it's not an easy film to get your head around. Uh, it, 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 you know, some people are going to instantly relate to it or feel that it, it speaks to them, and others are going to say, "What the heck is going on?" Um, and I, I suppose that I admire that this is art house. This is not mainstream movie making. It was at MIF, wasn't it? At Melbourne International Film Festival. Am Correct. I... In fact, it was partly funded by MIF. Ah, oh, was it? There you go. So, okay. So, Jackie. Um, Let's start with you. Uh, can can you give it a score or not? Well, I I could. It's probably not fair because okay. no, no, I don't want to do the wrong thing by you. So yeah, I yeah. understand if if you know maybe maybe we avoid it then, but we put, put on it, put it like this. I I don't know to whom I would say go and see this film. Okay, that's interesting. Well, I and let's take that up because that's worth conversing about. I would certainly recommend it to friends of mine who are more into art house film, but also those that are going through a bit, right? I, I mean, it's um, we've seen movies about uh, women in context as well, and this to me is uh, very much about, you know, blokes don't go to the doctor, blokes don't do this, blokes don't do that. This may speak to some of those. Does that... Does that resonate? Oh, to you? oh, absolutely, totally fair. That's a fair comment. Yep. Okay. And and what about you, Peter? What what would you say in response to what Jackie said? Who would you recommend this to? <laughs> a difficult argument, but it certainly it would be a for Australian audiences who want to see a diversity of Australian film, and secondly, to certainly for men uh, who are going through. Uh, possibly similar sorts of experiences. Um, but uh, at the q and I attended, there were a number of women and uh, they responded very positively um, to the film um, when they asked questions of Mark, um, saying that, thank you for, for showing us how men experience difficulties and suicidal yeah. behaviour and so on. So um, it's always difficult to say who would you recommend a, a film to, but certainly uh, I think this is a, a quality Australian film. Yeah, look, okay, so I'll start with you, Peter. What, what, what are you going to give it out of 10? I give it a very solid 7 out of 10. And I give it an 8.5. I, I think it's one of the best films I've seen in a long, long time. Um, and I, 
I just couldn't get enough of it. I, I thought it was extraordinarily well done. So it's called The Rooster. It's rated MA and goes for 101 minutes. So, folks, you can make a decision on that. Jackie, I know you've got to push off. Thank you so much for your contribution today. And um, you're, of course, welcome to hang around if you want to. But um, if you have to go, I, I certainly understand that. Uh, Alex, can I quickly add a comment about zone of interest? Because I know you've discussed it. Yes, I'm sorry when you dropped out. Yeah, yes, please, yes. Please do. Uh, look, I'll just quickly say uh, Hannah Arendt, uh, who talked about the banality of evil um, so brilliantly about the Nazi era and how uh, just average people can just be involved in murders and deaths and, and so on. Uh, this film, Zone of Interest, is just absolutely extraordinary. The immersive sound, music, the, the use of colour, red uh, on occasion, um, the the use of darkness at the start of the film to get you into a feeling or mood of, uh, of this situation, of this uh, ordinary family living next door to uh, a concentration camp where this, these horrors are happening. This is an absolutely brilliant uh, film. And in fact, for me, it was the polar opposite of a film like Son of Saul, which was the in-your-face graphic uh, depiction of the horrors of a concentration camp. This one does it in a different sort of way and yet reveals the evil just as strongly. And uh, great to see Sandra Hula in another oh, terrific Amazing, film. amazing. Yeah. Look, it's, it's a brilliant film. Yeah, it, I give it 10 out of 10. Do you? I gave it a nine, and Jackie gave it. What, what did J Jackie gave it? Uh, I think it was about an eight. Um, yeah, you're on, fly, you're on fire, Peter. That's the third film you're giving ten to so far this year. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on, Peter? Right. I mean, hang on, hang on. Excellence needs to stand out. You know, like top of the class. The, the ducks of the school is only one, Peter, not three. Inside two months, what the heck's going on here, eh? Hey. No, you are wrong. If we look at the, the ATAR... saying the ducks at the school is only one. I'm no. You can, you you can, can have, have two ducks, can you? Yes, you, can you can have 10 out of 10 for a, a number of good films that are exemplary, etc. So uh, with the ATAR, we've got 30 students across the state who receive a perfect score. Very good. I like the response. However, <laughs> only, however, only one film can win the Oscar for Best Picture, Peter. So when you've got three tens, how do you differentiate between them to pick the Oscar winner? Well, that's the, that's what people have to decide. It's, oh, a, it's yes, going to be a personal no, decision. No, no. But I'm saying when it comes to that, so I think we're both right because you are quite <laughs> correct that with ATARs and whatever, 99.95, is that the highest mark, I believe? Yes. Why is it, why is it only 99.95 and not 100? Is it's it a mathematical a algorithm. I reckon it's because nobody's perfect, Peter. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> sorry, well, other, sorry, other than you, from you that's other true. than you, Greg, with your dad jokes, is that right? Possibly, possibly. Okay, so yeah, but but, um, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot without any notice here, Peter. What are the three films you've given ten to, please, this year? This year, I think this is the first one, Zone of Interest. Okay, well, sorry, in, the, in recent history, as Greg says, what are the three, or do you, do you not recall? Also, did I change it to holdovers? I did. Uh, you're right. I did give a 10 out of 10. Right. And what was the other one, Greg? Do you remember? Uh, no, it was one of the first ones we talked about this year, though. Got off to a great start, big start. Um, let me just check my list, and we'll find out. Oh, very <laughs> good. Okay, because what I'm going to do, Peter, is I'm going to yeah. say of those three, 
if they were three of the films for Best Picture, which one would get Best Picture at the Oscars? I'm going to ask you, and I want an answer. I don't want a, de a deviation or, oh, no, there's three ATARs of 99.95, but we need to find out what that third film is, <laughs> right? Okay. I think this is a really interesting and challenging exercise for, for Mr. Perfectionist in Peter Krauss. <laughs> I love it. Um, the other film you don't tend to is Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall, yes, thank you. Okay, okay. right. Okay, uh, so oh, but is that, this is like Sophie's choice. <laughs> it is like Sophie's choice, and that's it. You're yours to make. Okay, we'll we'll put it on the table. We need a drum roll from you, Greg, please. Thank you. Anatomy of a Fall was number one. The Holdovers was number two, and number three, The Zone of Interest, which wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Okay, if I then had to vote, uh, you are having to, to vote. choose one of those three. All right, Zone of Interest. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. I, I was going to say I knew you would put Zone of Interest first. So I, I was now if you had to put a second and a third, I'm, <laughs> then I'll then I'll take you out of your misery. Um I, I reckon I know which one you're gonna put second anyway, but go on. What's his yeah. name? And that will fall second Thank holdovers third. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're so predictable, Peter. What can I tell you? Thank you for partaking in that little exercise. <laughs> now, Greg, I want you to pick one of the films you've seen because you haven't had a say so far. Uh, what 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 other film would you like to talk about next? Uh, maybe Fallen Leaves. Let us talk about Fallen Leaves, which um, it's an interesting. The, the title is a fascinating. Uh, what, what's the word for it? When where it, it's a um, a representation metaphor. Well, a metaphor. Thank you. A, a representation of the two central characters in this movie. Firstly, huge plaudits. It's 81 minutes. Yay! Can we have more, can we have more films that are 81 minutes, Peter, please? No. Don't give me this crap about, oh, a good film deserves to go for six hours. You know, let's get some... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm under siege here today. You are? Well, you, you firstly... Came into the conversation, dropped out of the conversation, came back, made all sorts of noise because your your system was playing up, and now you're having a bit of fun. That's good. All right, it's it's rated M, and it shows that love comes in many guises, as I've already demonstrated with Peter this morning. Anyway, <laughs> the, the finish. The, love means never having to say you're sorry. Exactly correct. The finished writer and director Aki Karasmaki, who did the other side of hope brings us the surprising story of a couple of lost souls. So you've got one called Halapa, played by Jussi Vatanen, metal worker at an industrial site. And he, he smokes, he also drinks a lot, including when he's on the job. And he shares shipping container lodgings with an older worker called Utari, played by Jan Vatanen. Ansa Gronholm, Alma Poist plays her, works at a supermarket. She's diligent. The payment she receives is not exactly flash, so she's been known to pocket the occasional out-of-date item at the supermarket, which they were going to throw out anyway. She lives by herself in a small, tidy apartment. Hutari, the older worker, convinces a reluctant halapa to have a night out at a karaoke bar. Because, well, quite frankly, Hutari, the older worker, Fancies, fancies himself as a crooner. After performing a song, he tries to pick up a lady called Lisa, played by Nupu Kuvu, who's come to the pub with her friend 
answer Gronholm, but Lisa shuts down the crooner. At the same time, Halapa eyes off answer. Nothing said at the time, but circumstances see Halapa and answer come across each other again, and they end up going on a rather awkward date. But the path to happiness is paved with rocks, boulders, both personally and professionally. This is dead, pardon me, deadpan delivery, black humour. They're the hallmarks of this compelling comedic drama. And the focus is on two decidedly nondescript individuals for whom life has provided very little. Both seem to be living, if you can even call it that, an endless hand-to-mouth existence. He acknowledges his depression. She simply seems to accept her lot. Even though he doesn't appear to offer much, she finds a spark with him. And it features Fallen Leaves, a series of punctuated conversations which suit the style of the, the film perfectly. The actors take to their task with aplomb, and I can only think of one scene where there's even the hint of a smile. Otherwise, everyone plays the straight man or woman, as the case may be. And there's no avoiding Karismaki's pointed social commentary on the destructive Russia-Ukraine war. There's no getting away from it on the radio news that basically there's a radio that's turned up uh, and turned on in Anza Gronholm's home. So this is typical Karismaki in terms of the, the deadpan delivery. It is a, it's a great film, isn't it, Greg? It is actually quite an interesting film. Um, I, I actually like this, and it's actually um, it's probably as light and fluffy as um, Karismaki gets in terms of um, his filmmaking there. The dread, dead, deadpan delivery of droll dialogue, um, the lack of sort of real momentum or action there, but the focus camera focuses in on the characters and you can get them. But there's lots of pop cultural references here too, as the characters spend a bit of time at the cinema, outside the cinema there's all these film posters, including one for um, A Brief Encounter, which sort of references one of the themes of the film. Um, also, they go see Jim Jormish's um, The Dead Don't Die, which is yes. a bit of a reference to the fact that um, Jormish appeared in an, um, one of Karis Markey's early films there. But it's a love story that sort of plays out here, a little like Brief Encounter meets Serendipity if you want. Um, and there's even some music on the soundtrack here as well, um, some upbeat music and background radio bulletins concerning the war in Ukraine, which also give the film sort of modern context. But as the two performances of the leads there, I think, uh, the defined, they attuned to Karismaki's motors there. This is largely a two-hander with some peripheral characters, including as you mentioned, Jenny Hyneton, who plays Hopper's best friend and drinking buddy. Also a cute dog here, um, Chaplin, which um, Anya ad- adopts there as well, as it adds to something to the film. Um, and it all plays out against a very depressing, grey, Helsinki backdrop. Um, but yeah. I like this film. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I think you've summed it up very, very well. The, the production design is fairly, fairly minimalist as well. The settings are fairly drab. Um, particularly Anser's small apartment there. Mm. Peter, did you enjoy it as much as Greg and I did? I certainly do, and I agree with uh, pretty much all of what Greg said. I mean, Kurosaki, 
uh, has adopted a particular style of filmmaking, which is so distinctive. And uh, mm. his his other films, like A Man Without a Past and La Havre and so on, uh, show the deeper side of character without being melodramatic or, or emotional, but uh, more internal. And I think that's what I really like about uh, the way um, he directs his films. And Fallen Leaves um, uh, is just, uh, uh, again, uh, such a great example. The film won, interestingly enough, the Cannes Jury Prize, and they certainly responded um, to the tone of the film and to the way that life really is about minor struggles uh, and not about uh, over-the-top massive sort of events, even though those uh, events that are happening uh, elsewhere in the world may impact on our everyday struggles. Uh, yes, I love the dog too, I must say. <laughs> and I will even know it's sort of tinged with a sense of um, drabness. There's also an optimism there as well about these two characters. There yeah. is. And in fact, that, that permeates a lot of Kurosmaki's films. That uh, There is that drabness, but he does have an optimistic feel to it. And I love the cinematic reference, references in the film too. No, I really enjoyed Fallen Leaves. Terrific. So, uh, Greg, what, what are you going to give it out of 10? Seven out of 10. Se seven out of 10? Yep. Okay. I, I think it's worth much more than that. What about you, Peter? I gave it eight out of 10. And I gave it eight and a half out of 10. So there we go. Uh, at least this wasn't a 10 out of 10 film, Peter, for you. Thank goodness for that. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> you, you, you'll be you'll be swabbed, right? I mean, you know, you'll, you'll go, that, that's, what, that's what's coming next. What, by the way, in... This is, again, another question without notice. What's the most 10 out of 10 films you've ever given in a year? Um, Approximately? I would, possibly five. Uh, it, it depends uh, on each oh, year. Of course. Oh, no, no, I, I understand fully. Okay, so uh, th this is before I, we're going to go into the detail about this film, Bob Marley, One Love. Uh, Greg, did you understand every word that was spoken? Uh not everything spoken by Bob no, no, Marley. No, no, that's, that's all I want. I didn't understand words from other characters. Right. Okay. Uh, Peter, did you understand every word that was spoken? No. The pidgin English was very difficult to understand at times. Yes, exactly. Okay, good. That's where we're going to start. So, okay, I, I think there's a lot of people out there, including me, who admire Bob Marley and what he achieved. I think in a very short life, which was tragically cut short, extraordinary impact that he had. So I was really looking forward to this sort of biopic and... Whilst we learnt elements of it, I would have liked more, quite frankly, but it's still, it still was okay, but it could have been better. That, that's how I'm going to start this. Bob Marley, One Love, M rated 107 minutes. And he was born Robert Nesta Marley in, in Jamaica, uh, and he lived only from the 6th of February 1945 to the 11th of May 1981. So, you know, that, wow, what a tragic, you know, he was 36 years of age. It was shocking when he passed away. And he rose to become the world's foremost reggae, one of the, well, the world's most foremost reggae singer, guitarist, and songwriter. And he was a spiritual man from humble beginnings. And this is his life story. But most of the action takes place from 1976 onwards. And as I say, he was born in 1945. So he's already, what, 30, 31 at that stage. And by that stage, he was already a bona fide star. And at the time, Jamaica was in turmoil. He had rival gangs, yet political parties literally shooting up the place and brawling, and nobody was safe. And here you've got sort of Robert Nestor Marley, Rastafarian, who married 
a fellow believer in singer and Rita Anderson, played by Lashana Lynch, in 1966. So that was 10 years before most of the action in this movie. And his aim, Marley's aim, was to unite people. Against advice, he went ahead with plans to take to the stage at what was to be called Smile Jamaica. That was a free concert he hoped would bring together warring parties in peace. But a couple of days before that could happen, he and his wife were gunned down in their own home. She was seriously injured and he was wounded. So he ended up fleeing to London without his wife and children in self-imposed exile for a couple of years. And it's there that Bob Marley and the Whalers recorded the critical and commercially successful album Exodus. Laid-back style, pulsating bass beats. But all wasn't rosy. There was exploitation, there was womanising, and Marley was diagnosed with an incurable condition. So Bob Marley One Love paints a fundamentally favourable picture of a musical icon who was largely chilled and, like his fellow Rastafarians, smoked a lot of ganja, right? Marijuana. He also loved running and he loved soccer and appeared to leave most of the parenting duties to his wife. Importantly, the co-writer and director Ronaldo Marcus Green has used footage of the times to construct a portrait of civil disobedience. And I'd urge people to stay on until the end of this movie to see vision of Bob Marley himself, which a lot of biopics have and elevates them. So One Love certainly paints a vivid picture of the great man's life and times and his guiding principles, but I struggled with the vocalisation, as I said at the outset. I couldn't understand most of what was being said because the accents were so thick. And that's to take nothing away from Kinsley Benadir, who brought the right amount of warmth and attitude to Marley in his representation. Undoubtedly an awe about him, and he wears the halo well. Lashana Lynch, too, greatly impressed me as his stoic wife, who stood by him and encouraged him, but also faced him fair and square when he took matters too far. And there's really a fire and polish about her performance. And they are the key players in Bob Marley One Love, alongside the Whalers and a couple of record company executives. And what would a film like this be without the finest of music? Really, such great rhythms and the production design, which is also true to the times. So bear in mind this is endorsed by his family, Bob Marley's family. Among the producers are two of Marley's children, Ziggy and Sadella, alongside his, his widow, Rita. And it's reverential to the image and the weight he carried, while also prizing open just a few cracks. Understanding the dialogue would have been very nice, but the movie still struck a chord with me. And, you know, I say this as somebody who follows a lot of cricket, and therefore, you know, West Indian players speaking, I understand their accents, but I didn't understand these Rastafarians in, in large measure. But I still got a lot out of the movie. What about you, Greg? Um, like most other recent biopics of famous musicians, this is a fairly standard biopic that reveals little I found that's new or surprising. And the fact that Marley's ex um, former wife or widow, what you were called, Rita, and his oldest son, Siggy, are amongst accredited producers, I thought the film served up a fairly reverential treatment, but there is nothing too controversial or negative in the film there. I agree that um, Kingsley Ben Sadir was great in the role. I thought he totally inhabited the character and did a superb job of channeling Marley's charisma and his dynamic stage presence. But I agree, unfortunately, due to his heavy accent, much of his dialogue was virtually incomprehensible and probably needs subtitles somewhere along yeah. the line. Uh, Lashana Lynch was good as his wife, Rita, who played an important role in his success. 
And I like James Norton, who brought a touch of humour to his affable performance as Chris Blackwell, Marley's friend, producer and co-founder of Island Records, who helped shape his career. Um, but this is a superficial biopic that adds nothing new there to his, um, to his life. It follows along in chronological fashion, um, and it gives the material something of an episodic feel, I felt there. Um, but it is a celebration of his life and his music. Um, and every, as you said, it's replete with a lot of Marley's hits. There's a few omissions like Buffalo Soldiers, one of his biggest hits. That's there. Cool. That was fabulous, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but uh, I just thought um, it could have done so much more um, giving it an impact. I think people who want to know more about him would do well to check out Kevin McDonald's comprehensive 2012 documentary, Marley. Yep, makes perfect sense to me, Greg. What about you, Peter? Yes, look, the Bob Marley uh, story is is one that uh, should make a really interesting biopic because of his life, his uh, his backstory, and his music, and so on. But unfortunately, this film is not it. Um, it, it the film was written by four screenwriters who are uh, fatally compromised by trying to uh, portray Bob Marley in a particular time period. Uh, from 1976 onwards, and I think that doesn't work for me at all, especially because it doesn't give you really any real history of, of Bob Marley, his backstory, why uh, Jamaica was in such turmoil. I wanted to know more information and why he, uh, why Marley was so keen to be a peacemaker. Uh, look, there are so many elements to the screenplay that are lacking uh, in terms of exposition, in terms of understanding uh, of Marley's character. And and by the end of the film, I was none the wiser about really knowing much more about uh, Bob Marley um, than the uh, superficial tendering that we get in this film. Yes, the music is good. Uh, yes, there are some uh, nice elements to the film. Uh, yes, the uh, film should have been subtitled. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But this film was directed by the same uh, guy who directed King Richard. Now, uh, so obviously it's not the director's issue. Uh, it's more to do with the material that he was given, although he was part of the screenwriting process. And unfortunately, this film doesn't work for me at all. Yeah, look, I think I'm going to be the high watermark here, even though I thought there were uh, issues with it. So let's start with you, Peter. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I barely gave it five out of ten. I've it 107 minutes. Sorry, go again. Sorry, yeah, I barely gave it five out of ten. Okay, great. One element I did like was the musicians were all played by children of the original Mark Whalers, his backing band. So yeah, that's wonderful, cool. isn't it? That's yeah. Sem- mm. And I like the cinematography there as well, but I, I gave it six out of ten. And I gave it seven out of ten. So five, six, seven, averages six. Uh, make of it what you will. Bob Marley, one love. Now, I we, we, we've got one film that we w- must talk about as well, called Madam Webb. Now, okay, I'm going to start by asking you guys, are we finished with Marvel superheroes and all that sort of stuff? I mean, where, where are we at with... Because they, they're being they're not being attended in droves anymore like they used to be. You know, have we reached the point where the, as a franchise, not as a franchise per se, but as a genre, if you like, almost, or sub-genre, we've almost reached the zenith or... Uh, are they going to keep the studios going to keep trotting these sorts of things out and potentially losing money or not getting the money back that they expected to? What do you reckon, Greg? 
I think it's a saturation point there. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'll always enjoy the Spider-Man movies. I think they've always been the most yes. consistent and enjoyable franchise within the Marvel comic universe. Um, a lot of the spin-off movies um, and some of those female-centric ones, apparently, even have been pretty disappointing. And films like Venom, Morbius, and that have been box office flops. So I think yeah, the well is pretty dry. Yeah. Uh, Peter, would you agree? I absolutely agree. Enough already. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Madam Web is 116 minutes M rated, and imagine you had the ability to see in the future and could change the outcome. I mean, that's you the, film. Well, there you go. That's the contention at the centre of this latest Marvel superhero movie, which is which the studio would like to turn into a franchise. Let's be honest. And brought up in in foster homes, Cassandra Webb, played by Dakota Johnson, is a paramedic, and all she knows is that her mum. Constance, played by Carrie Bish, died during childbirth while she was investigating the special healing properties of a spider in the Amazon. In fact, she was killed by her guide, Ezekiel Sims. Tahar Rahim plays Ezekiel Sims. He wasn't interested in using those special properties for the greater good. He had purely selfish desires, which were met when he stole the one spider that the mother, Constance, managed to find and bottle. And the spider venom gave him incredible strength and speed. Nevertheless, Ezekiel is plagued by a recurrent nightmare, which features three masked young women who track him down and kill him. And to that end, he vows to murder them before they get to him. And their downfall becomes his obsession. But what he doesn't count on is Cassie Webb's awakening to her origins and her linking up with the women, the three women that were teenagers as Ezekiel saw them. And as I say, that's something that he doesn't even uh, anticipate. So there's Julia Cornwall, played by Sidney Sweeney, Anya Corazon, played by Isabel Merced, and Matty Franklin, Celeste O'Connor. Now in comic book form, Madame or Madame Webb is depicted as a blind old woman in a wheelchair. In the film, Cassie is young, active and agile, at least through most of the film. Madam Webb was co-written, it's been directed by S.J. Clarkson, who cut her teeth in television and is making her feature film debut. Now, for all the inevitable comparisons, Spider-Man, Madam Webb is not. Now, I quite like the intriguing origin story, that's absolutely fine, but vast leaps of faith are necessary to buy the premise and some of the dialogue, boy, is that clunky. A narcissistic bad guy is pitted against a driven hero whose life is upended when she unexpectedly discovers that she has premonitions. Overlay that with teen angst and you have a pretty bizarre narrative. I got the impression also that Dakota Johnson wasn't all that sold on the material either, but did what she was directed to do. And the girls squabbling and making up seemed to be a waste of acting talent. Tahir Rahim's villainous persona smacks of a one-trick pony. Adam Scott as a largely thankless role as Cassandra's good-natured paramedic partner and friend, Ben Parker. Emma Roberts hardly has a significant part to play as Parker's pregnant sister-in-law, Mary. So let me summarise by saying that Madame Webb struggles throughout to maintain credibility. Nevertheless, while I mentioned that Madame Webb is no Spider-Man, it is an origin story. Presuming the studio goes ahead with future instalments, the link to the latter will become more apparent as the story evolves. There you go, Madam Webb. Peter? 
Oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! What 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 a, what a terrible film! And I was so disappointed because I really encourage more superhero films with women uh, as key characters, and yet this one just doesn't cut it for me. And we know that there's not going to be a follow-up film because there's no post-credit sequence in this film. So that's already a, a very bad sign. Well, no, but there's a hint. There 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 is a hint of. Um... I thought there was a hint. Greg, did you not think that? Oh, look, I do hint that the three girls are going to become sort of um, superheroes in their own right. There. Yeah. I just think this film is um, inert and they won't follow up with it. Yeah, okay. Well, sorry, you're going to make some further remarks, Peter. Yeah, I was just going to say it was so sad to see Taha Rahim in, in such a, a yes. thinkless, awful role. I mean, he was a brilliant actor in A Prophet and, and in other films, and yet obviously he's doing it for the money, fair enough. That's uh, uh, that's uh, what actors have to do. But uh, it's just emblematic of what this film is. It's, it's sort of a, a total misfire, not well written at all. Dakota Johnson does her best. Uh, in a, in I think a pretty thankless and uninteresting sort of role, which is such a shame because this could have been such a dynamic and more interesting film, especially about the whole issue of premonitions and how that can impact on on her character and the world. So yeah, very disappointing for me. And Greg, did you also think it was disappointing? Yes, I thought it was disappointing, messy, um, and it lacks much in the way of originality, and also lacks that broader appeal to the typical fan base of these superhero movies. And there's a great suspension of disbelief required here to go along with the basic premise there. And the inconsistency of how far into the future you can see got to me as well. You know, sometimes it's only seconds. Other times it's like half an hour or an hour. Like half an hour or so. Well, listen, let's let's sum all this up. I, I agree with what Peter said, that, or what you said, that um, uh, Dakota yeah, Johnson's heart wasn't in this role. I think there's this is a troubleshoot. And a lot of the Spider-Man references have been excised in post-production to try and distance it from the Spider-Man um, Spider franchise. Well, we're running out of time, Greg, so let's just get a score from you for what is not Spider-Man. Uh, Madam <laughs> Web, M-rated, 116 minutes. What do you reckon? Uh, look, it's got only 13% on Rotten Tomatoes if you pay attention to that as well. Um, I only gave it 5 out of 10. Right, I gave it 5 out of 10, Peter. Unfortunately, I could only give it 3 out of 10. Wow. Yep. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I don't think it'll be top of most people's hit list, let's be honest. Or maybe at the top of the hit list, but not top of the list of films to go along and see. So anyway, thank you so much for your contribution. Jackie, who's disappeared now, but um, thank you to her. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Greg. And we'll do it all again next week on Hopefully. First on Film and Entertainment. <laughs>